Hello, and welcome to the Leading in Times of Challenge podcast, produced by the Greater Des Moines Partnership. I'm your host, Mike Jefferson. Thank you for joining us as we talk with community leaders from across Greater Des Moines who share their greatest accomplishments and their biggest challenges. Now more than ever during these trying times of the COVID-19 pandemic, leadership remains crucial to the strength and resilience of our region. Let's hear from today's leader. On this episode of Leading in Times of Challenge, I have the privilege to be joined by Dr. Angela Franklin, president of Des Moines University. She has over 25 years of experience in higher education. Uh, She's also a licensed clinical psychologist, so that may or may not determine how much I decide to speak (laughs) during the rest of this interview. Um, And she's also chaired or is currently chairing on various boards uh, for nonprofit organizations. Am I missing anything else? No, that that pretty much covers uh, in a nutshell. Perfect. Well, again, thank you for taking the time. Uh, out of your schedule today to to sit down and, and speak with us. And I guess one of the first questions I have before we kind of really get into the the heart of it is, is how are things going with you being the head of DMU? And I know, you know, obviously graduations were supposed to be coming up and, and things of that nature. So um, how are some of those things going as you as you guys as you guys go through this? Well, of course, just as every other industry, uh, we have been quickly mobilizing our campus community to its new normal. And um, we started out early in the process and did some things pretty quickly. Um, So I'm proud to say that we have transitioned our entire campus community for an online instruction. Our faculty stepped up. Um, I can proudly announce that some may not have wanted to go to online instruction completely this fast, but they mobilized pretty quickly. It was a steep learning curve. Our curriculum, as we speak, is being delivered online to all of our students. Now, the challenge that we had is that, of course, we have sciences, and that meant it had a different impact on the students who are in clinical settings. So we have removed our clinical students from hospital settings and their clinical rotations trying to reimagine what we do with some online experiences that may simulate some of the clinical training that some of them may be missing. Um, We're getting some guidance from the accreditation bodies about health sciences education, about what we can and can't do there. So we're anxiously awaiting some, some indications as to how we restore some of those experiences for our clinical students. As far as our other students, We're 100% online. Um, Our faculty have done a great job. Our students are quite resilient. They've adjusted. So our campus is pretty empty right now. Um, We have maintained essential services. You know, our food services there, more grab and go for those students who may need to be on campus, whether getting access to the library or just a comfortable space to um, log in to their online instruction. Uh, Our clinic services are still there, uh, operating for essential services. So we have transitioned pretty quickly and have been at it now for almost two weeks. Um, We had our spring break shortly after the whole community started readjusting to this this new dynamic. Um, So we've been in our, we're now in our second week of online instruction and going relatively well. As you mentioned, the commencement has been canceled and, but we're doing sort of reimagining even commencement. Um, Some of our our colleagues are trying to figure out how to make those experiences just as special for students. And thanks to some leadership in my student affairs team, along with ITS and marketing communication, we're going to do a virtual commencement on the same day that we would normally do our commencement. Now, it's not quite the same. Right. And our students, of course, as you can imagine, are quite disappointed. Those senior students who have been waiting for this moment 
but we're trying to recreate an experience that can get them some sense of being celebrated. Um, so, but we're doing quite well. I mean, trying to maintain um, all of our operations, anticipating what's next and doing quite well given the challenge. Let's go back a little bit, maybe on some of your prior experiences. Um, have you guys ever, or have you personally ever had any challenges be in, in a leadership role that maybe initially you thought were going to be too tough to overcome? And what were they and, and what ultimately did you end up doing? It's not a surprise um, for me to be talking about this, given that in our community, people are very much aware just a, a little over a year ago, you know, we did make a decision to relocate our campus. So I can talk about that as another challenge. Um, and in terms of being faced with a dilemma, of what do you do when you have been charged as a leader of a health sciences university or any academic leader to be charged with growing an enterprise and find out that you're conflicted and constricted in being able to grow an enterprise? Um, university presidents are typically judged on how, how much they grow the number of the students or they grow degree programs. Um, as I was entering my eighth year um, as president at DMU, it became pretty clear that we've done some amazing things in terms of growth, in terms of raising the bar and the quality of all of our academic programs. We had grown as about as far as we could grow. Then the question was, well, how do we continue to expand and augment what we do as a health sciences university, given some of the new challenges with the delivery of care and how best to train the next generation of health professionals? So having wonderful facilities on 14 acres of land in the city of Des Moines created its own challenges. So how do we continue to retrofit our classrooms, our learning environments for the future? So that was a challenge that we were faced with just a little over a year ago. And with the support of my board of trustees and other members of our team, you know, something that we thought was an insurmountable challenge that would really question whether or not we could continue to grow an enterprise. We ended up with a solution that may have shocked some people, right. but it was so much the right thing for us to do as a health sciences university. So we get to imagine the future of health sciences education. And given the challenge we currently are facing, with COVID-19, we were forced to think about um, telemedicine, you know, delivering care, you know, in a different way than we had typically delivered care. Our students need to be trained in that new environment. So actually what we're doing, dealing with now is sort of forcing us to do the things that we knew to be true that was, would be on the horizon in terms of how you practice medicine. Now, of course, there's no, no, no sign of where this may end up at this point, but it actually allows us to think more innovatively in terms of how we train students and how we deliver care. So that was what our focus of our new campus would be about, to be able to create the, the Health Sciences University of the future, build that for the next generations. Okay, and isn't it amazing that Sometimes even in the times of crisis where things seem completely crazy and, and uh, whatnot, the, the innovations that do come out of those, the, the, the places that we end up putting ourselves to where we almost make ourselves better off for what has happened than if we hadn't experienced this, you know, too. So it's, it's, uh, it's, it's nice to see and it's nice to hear and listen to you talk about some of those things that even though this is a bad situation, it has definitely forced you guys to, you know, think outside of the box and, and you know, be forward thinking in, in those types of things. So with that being said, how, 
you know, because obviously everybody doesn't embrace change. And I'm sure there are some people even on within your teams <laughs> that were a little reluctant when that news first came out. And we're probably like, I don't know. What are some of the things that you did again? And this is for people that to tie back in to circle back to COVID-19 that may be listening that are looking for ways to motivate their teams and keep morale up. What are some of the things that you did to help the morale of your, your team as a whole? You know, one thing that we've come to know, and it's part of the sort of in the DNA of the environment that, that I live in every day at DMU, um, we have for some years now taken a very collaborative team approach to everything we do. Um, I, I have been told it early on in my, my tenure as president there that my approach was a little atypical, that I had a large group of direct reports. Um, I had more of a flattened administrative structure with a lot of direct reports, and I have a real team approach to leadership, um, more of a collaborative engagement. So it didn't really matter where individuals might report up, who their supervising leader might be, but we focus more on functions. So for instance, if I have an individual reporting to me directly, and that person happens to be the marketing communications person, but the person that may be over admissions may report up to someone else, the function of having recruitment materials prepared and ad- adequately going out and recruiting students, those functions need both of those individuals. Okay. So instead of worrying about who reports where, we focus on a team effort and getting functions done. So that lended itself well to being able to get through a challenging situation because we're already designed to work in teams. So my executive leadership team has, I sit around a table weekly with 15 other individuals on a weekly meeting and now we're zooming you know with all 15 of those people on a weekly basis smaller groups daily with this same approach that we're carrying forward so whereas a lot of people are beginning to zoom with large groups of people for the first time and i've been on some calls with other leaders in higher ed who are realizing that this sort of flattened more collaborative administrative structure lends itself well to working through challenges Whereas we've always functioned that way. Since I've been at DMU now nine years, I changed administrative structure to be more of a collaborative team approach. So there's an executive leadership team. People that sit around the table with me aren't necessarily all my direct reports, but they have a vital function that they play in the overall operation of the organization. And that's what made the difference. So since we function as a team, that means everyone matters. Everyone's valued as a member of the team. And those individuals have staff members that report up to them that look to them for leadership. So what we've been able to do from the question of can we, how dare we move the campus to relocate a whole campus to how do we navigate COVID-19, we've been focused on communication, communication, communication. The more we talk, the more we share, even before this challenge, we had open forum, regular communications, people hear from me often. There's a quarterly open forum on campus where everyone gets in one big room. They get updates on everything that's going on. So we share information constantly. So my campus was used to an organization that functions that way. And we've been bringing people along with us to make sure that people are on board. Now, they can't get into the nitty gritty on every little detail, right. but we are very deliberate in making sure we bring our people along so that people understand why we may have made some decisions and then how we help them na- navigate it. So communication is key to that, but the structure, the organizational structure, that's more of a 
flatten approach to how we sort of span out and share information has been really vital to that. So that's made the difference. Um, now that we're in the middle of COVID-19, they've been getting almost weekly messages from me. Actually, I just came you know, from campus where I've just recorded a video message. They've been getting email messages, but we thought the coast was clear. It was safe enough for me to go in and <laughs> at my desk with my marketing people at a safe distance away record a message to the campus. So they're going to actually hear and see me, not just an email communication uh, within the next day or so. So communication is vital. That's the key to success. I couldn't agree more. And so now as you prepare to lead these teams, um, you know, future forward and, and the things that you've done already, that takes a lot of energy and a lot of focus. And again, just as a side note for people that, if you haven't listened to this podcast series yet, and I know I've said it in other episodes and I'll say it again, you can tell these leaders know what they're talking about because a lot of the themes are the same. And I haven't <laughs> talked to them all in a room together. Yeah. Um, I've interviewed them all individually. And and the recurring themes are the one of the biggest ones is communication. And you will hear that. So if you're listening, I encourage you to check out the other episodes, um, you know, that we're going to be dropping as, as well. Um, but I just had, had to throw that in there because, again, just to hear you say the same thing, and it's it's highly crucial that people understand that. But back to my point about um, it takes a lot of energy and focus to lead these teams. What are some of the things that you do yourself personally to help get your mind right, um, to, to go out and, and lead these teams, especially when you have to do and make the tough and challenging calls? What are some of the things that you do to kind of help offset those things? I think that's where my maybe my background as a psychologist will come into play. You know, it may be more instinctive that that I typically, you know, am more of a sort of an internal locus of control. I personally internalize and focus on how I'm coming across. So what's most important for a leader is to maintain some sense of calm and presence and engaging. Um, so if I come across, you know, frazzled and worried and upset and concerned, then people are going to follow that. You know, so it's really important for me to make sure that I maintain a sense of calm and, and engaging even through challenging times like this. You know, so that resolve that comes from deep within is something that I think, you know, leaders have to be able to convey. You know, some people get there more easily than others. I think maybe I'm kind of wired that way. Maybe that's why I chose to be a psychologist, because being a good listener and being able to reflect positive energy to your clients is a big part of what makes for an effective therapeutic relationship. So I think, you know, I come to it from that place. Uh, it may have been just the, who I am as a person, but I think that training as a psychologist ha- sort of augments that. So when I go into a situation, I'm often thinking first about how I'm coming across and making sure that I'm conveying a message in the way that people will hear it and can appreciate. And it comes from a place of a sincere and a genuine desire to connect with people that I'm sort of walking in their shoes. I'm trying to imagine how they're feeling. I'm trying to reflect concern and compassion, which is sincere and genuine, not just pretend because people can tell when it's pretend. But I come from a place of really being sincerely concerned about the people that I've been chosen to serve. And that comes from a place of a philosophy of leadership that I ascribe to, which is called servant leadership, because I'm here to really be of service, not to be served. So if you come at leadership from a place of being a servant leader, you first think about the other people. 
you think about how you're going to be of service to them as opposed to what's going on with you. Now, sometimes that takes a hit because later on, you know, I have to realize that, gosh, you know, the, the weight is heavy. You know, I have a lot on my shoulders, but I need to make sure I'm there for my people first. You know, uh, you asked the question about how do I then deal with my own issues around that? And everybody, you know, has to do deal with that on their own. I find a way of getting back to, to kind of fill my bucket, you know, with energy by going to a place of, you know, sort of a more of a spiritual place, you know, in terms of feeling that what I'm doing is, is a calling and I'm, I'm here to serve. So I feel I'm doing my purpose by doing the work that I do. So I remind myself of that. Um, I didn't come to this role just because I chose to be here that I'm supposed to be here. And that may be kind of a hokey way of looking at it, you know, but I think I'm here in this place at this particular point in time for a reason. And I take that very seriously. So I take that to heart. So I get filled up with energy from my interactions with people and feeling that I'm being of service to them and feeling I'm doing what I'm chosen to do. Dr. Franklin, I know you are busy, despite the fact that you're not necessarily on campus 24-7 now. I know, again, working remote is you've probably actually made you a little bit busier now than, than even in the past. So we'll let you get back to it. But uh, Dr. Franklin, thank you for joining us today on Leading in Times of Challenge. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it being a part of it. Thank you for listening to the Leading in Times of Challenge podcast produced by the Greater Des Moines Partnership. To listen to more stories of inspiration, please visit dsmpartnership.com.